0: If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530-8920521. This series in Hebrews entitled Jesus Gives Us Hope to Anchor Our Souls Through Life's Storms. Hebrews chapter 6. In Hebrews 6, 19-20, we read, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now this is very important for us to understand that when we trust in Christ, we have an anchor for our soul, and that anchor is firm, it is secure, it's completely trustworthy, it's reliable, it is certain. Isn't that good to know? I don't know how people without the Lord get through life. The Lord is the anchor in our storm that keeps us from being tossed to and fro, that keeps us from sinking. The Lord is the anchor of our soul, and he's our eternal anchor. He has entered into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God, and he's there forever. So the hope you and I have is not a passing hope, it's not a wishful hope, but it is a solid hope. It's an eternal hope. And we are to hang on to our hope in Jesus. Now let's look at the context of these verses. Because hope, in the scriptural sense, is about clinging to the good we can't see, even in the midst of the bad we can't escape. In other words, no matter how difficult your storm is, The anchor of your soul will keep you safe. We never know the strength of an anchor until we feel the fierceness of a storm. The Lord is our anchor who keeps us safe. It has nothing to do with human expectations. It has everything to do with with ongoing trust in Jesus' finished work. We are to praise Jesus as the one who has pioneered on our behalf to obtain our eternal salvation. So here's the context. Number one, the mature in Christ are secure in Christ. Let me say that again. The mature in Christ are secure in Christ. The more you grow in knowing the Lord, the more you grow in knowing you are safe and sound in his loving, eternal care. The more you get into the Word and grow in knowing the Bible, the more you're assured of your blessed assurance of salvation. The mature in Christ are the secure in Christ. Hebrews 6, 1-3 is where the writer of Hebrews is continuing his scolding, really, of these Jewish Christians who have become dull in hearing. That's what he says in chapter 5, verse 11. You no longer try to understand. You've become dull and sluggish and lazy in hearing. He says, by this time you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need to repeat the ABCs. And the verses that precede chapter 6, Hebrews 5, 13, and 14 says, Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who, by constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish between good and evil. He just finished scolding them as being big babies, living on milk, not moving on to the solid food of the Word of God. And now he continues by saying, therefore. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. So the writer saying, move beyond the elementary teachings to maturity. The more you grow in Christ, the more secure you know you are in Christ. These people are being persecuted. They're tempted to go back to Judaism. And this list talks about instruction and cleansing rites. What is that? That's a Jewish practice. So they are going over the Jewish things that was supposed to lay the foundation for the coming of the Messiah. They haven't moved on into fully trusting in Christ and resting in the fact that he has paid for their salvation in full. They're going back to a system of works rather to... The truth of the gospel of grace. And because of that, they're like pulling the dandelion leaves, petals, and saying, He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. That's insecurity. Have you ever felt that God maybe doesn't love you? That maybe God's not approving of you? That you haven't done enough? You you don't know enough? You're not good enough for God? If you're mature in the Lord, you don't even question or doubt that He loves you, that He accepts you, that you're already approved in Christ. The mature are secure, but the immature are insecure. And that's why the writer is saying, grow. Secondly, he says pretenders don't rely on Christ for salvation. In Hebrews six forty-eight, he writes, it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. Now, what does this mean? Scholars have offered several um, interpretations of this passage. For instance, it could be that it describes the sin of apostasy, which means Christians can lose their salvation. Or it deals with people who are almost saved and then they back away from trusting Christ. Or it describes a sin possible only the Jews living while the Jewish temple was still standing. Or it presents a hypothetical case or illustration that could not really happen. And I believe it's none of the above. What it is, is that those who, like in the parable of the four soils that Jesus told, there are those who hear the word and it goes in one ear and out the other. Instead of them receiving the truth of God's gospel of grace, it's like seed that drops on hard ground and the birds come and snatch it away. Are they saved? No. How about those who the seed... Falls on hard ground and it doesn't take root. And uh, the sun comes and scorches that beginning plant and doesn't have the root system to survive. Did they trust in Christ? No. How about those who they have the uh, the seed, but but the cares and riches, the thorns just choke out that seed. Jesus said it's those who have a good and clean heart, who receive the seed of the word, and they bear fruit. 20, 60, 30, 100%. More fruit than they started with. That's the saved person. You will know the saved person by his or her fruit. And pretenders are relying on their own works but not on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Pretenders are going to church, they're going through the motions, but they are not experiencing the reality of fully trusting in Christ for their salvation. And the writer of Hebrews says, to their loss they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. You're either saved by grace, or you're trying to save yourself by works. If you're trying to save yourself by works, you are negating the fact that Jesus died on the cross so your sins could be forgiven. You're saying, in essence, God, I can do it myself. Does that sound familiar? Maybe your grandchild or great-grandchild says, I can do it myself. That's a very immature response when you can get the help you need to succeed. Jesus died on the cross so your sins could be forgiven. Jesus shed his blood so your sins could be washed away. Who atones for your sins? Jesus or you? Remember the Shakespeare play where Lady Macbeth is constantly washing her hands and she's saying, "Out, out, darn spot." Well, maybe she didn't say darn, but you know what I mean? What was she trying to do? She's trying to atone for her own sins by constantly washing her hands. Those who do not trust in Christ's finished work on the cross are trying by their actions or by their resignation to somehow atone for their own sin. It's like me uh, getting a thousand tickets and appearing before a judge and saying, oh, judge, it's okay. From now on, I'm going to be a great and safe driver. You cannot atone for your own sin. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Pretenders don't rely on Christ for salvation. Land that drinks in the rain, the writer of Hebrews says, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receive the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Now, this is not speaking of heaven and hell. It's speaking of fruitfulness or lack of fruitfulness. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and his finished work We do works of righteousness out of the fact that we've already been approved, we've already been forgiven, we're not trying to earn our salvation, we are living out the reality of our salvation. So faith alone um, is not alone. We're saved by faith alone, but that faith is not alone. It's accompanied by good works, by the Holy Spirit prompting through us to serve the Lord and to love others and and serve them. That's fruitfulness. But land that produces thorns and thistles is all about selfishness, and it's all about uh, uh, being power-hungry and not living for the Lord, but living for the world. And that is resulting in worthless Brambles and tumbleweeds, thorns and thistles. And back then, when a field did not produce, you know what a farmer did? He burned the field and he plowed the ashes into the ground so that the ashes served as fertilizer for a better crop. That's why it's talking about burning. It's not talking about hell. The illustration is about fruitfulness or lack of fruitfulness. So those who know the Lord are going to show that they know the Lord by their lives. The proof is in the pudding. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say that the hopeful then, are helpful and inherit reward. Hebrews 6, 9 to 12. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. So he's writing to these Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to Judaism. He says that those who try to do it by works are crucifying Christ all over again, but he says that's not descriptive of you. I truly believe you have faith, genuine faith, authentic faith in Christ. I truly believe that you know you've been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ. I'm convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. The hopeful are helpful. And God sees that. God sees your attitude of love for him and in loving him, wanting to serve his body by helping others. God sees the kindness you show to other people. God is intimately acquainted with your heart and your helpfulness. And you will be rewarded for your faith. The one thing we want to hear the most when we come and see Jesus at the end of our lives is for him to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And you know what? The Lord will reward you for your faithfulness. We'll all appear as Christians before the Bema seat of Christ, the Olympic chair of Christ, where he will... Reward us with crowns for our faithfulness. So does the Lord see when you show kindness behind the scenes? Yes. Does he see when you bring groceries to somebody in need and ring the doorbell and run away? Yes, he saw that. Does the Lord see your years of caring for the needy and loving the unlovely? Yes, and he will reward you. The Lord is not unjust. He will reward you for all eternity. It goes on to say, we want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised the hopeful are helpful and they inherit reward through faith and patience continuing to love others and to be helpful to others we all will enter into the eternal rest of heaven and receive crowns of reward for all eternity And the example here is Abraham's hope. His hope was rewarded, and since his hope was rewarded, your hope will be rewarded. Chapter 6, 13-17. When God made his promises to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, he swore by himself, saying, I will surely bless you and give you your descendants. That's Genesis twenty-two, seventeen. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. You know, hope that is uh, realized immediately is not much hope. But when you have to hang on in hope and wait and wait and wait and wait, but you're waiting patiently and you're believing that God is faithful, that God has promised, and what he promised he will fulfill, you shall be rewarded. How many years did Abraham wait before Isaac, the promised son, was born? Was it five years? Ten years? Fifteen years? Twenty years? Twenty-five years is how long Abraham waited before Isaac was born. But because he hung in there, he was rewarded. Don't give up. You say, Lord, when is this storm going to be over? Don't give up. The Lord will get you to the other side in due time. In his time, in his time, he makes all things beautiful in his time. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep pressing on to maturity. Regarding Abraham and the promise God made, it says in Hebrews six thirteen to 17 people swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. If you look at the words that are underlined, you can see that when God promises something, his word is his bond. That his word is as good as gold. That when he makes a promise, he guarantees it. He stands by it. He backs it up 100%. And when he promised Abraham a descendant, he delivered. So when God promises you eternal security and safety in his care all the way to heaven, that promise is good. That hope is solid. That is the anchor of your soul that keeps you going through gale, wind, tribulation and temptations. So the final point is this, those anchored in Christ are eternally safe. God did this, that is he made an oath to himself of himself So that by two unchangeable things, in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Aren't you greatly encouraged that the two unchangeable things are God's nature? He is faithful no matter what. And God's holiness. He is truthful no matter what. He's a faithful, honest God. So when he promises something, it's completely 100% trustworthy. He can never lie. And so we have run to him and we said, God, I've believed in your son Jesus for my salvation. And I've believed in him alone. Where else can I go for salvation? I trust in you. And God says, you have my word. I will save you to the uttermost. Can you hang on to that anchor? Can you hang on to that hope? Can you trust in the Lord with all your heart? The answer is absolutely yes. Those anchored in Christ are eternally safe, and here's the punchline the verses we started with. We have this hope as the anchor of our soul firm and secure it enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. I want you to say this out loud with me right now. Just just read this out loud. The finished work of Jesus on the cross to shed his blood provides eternal salvation and ongoing sanctification for all who trust in him. The guarantee of God's promise is backed by his own oath and his son's sacrifice. Jesus pioneered our eternal salvation by entering forever into the very presence of God with the payment for our sins. Jesus didn't just go into the holy place of the temple. He went into the holy of holies, which only the high priest in Israel could do once a year. Jesus went into the very presence of God forever. And he brought his own blood so that we are forgiven Forever. We are secure in Jesus. So let's praise Jesus as the anchor of our soul, because the mature in Christ are secure in Christ. Pretenders don't rely on Christ for salvation. The hopeful are helpful and inherit reward. Example in case is Abraham, and those anchored in Christ are eternally safe. We have an anchor and it holds no matter what the strength of the storm. Our hope is Jesus and he will never let us down. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for being faithful and true. Thank you, thank you for providing Jesus as our sin bearer and for his shed blood. Thank you, Jesus, for being our high priest at the right hand of God the Father, interceding for us, that what you began of salvation work in us, you will continue all the way until we're in your presence. Thank you that what you have started, you will finish. You're the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I don't know what storms people are going through in terms of personal struggles or temptations, but may they never turn away from you, but turn to you. May they hang on to you for dear life and find you faithful and true to uphold them and to help them to finally get to glory. Thank you for your great faithfulness. Thank you that our hope is based on nothing less than upon Jesus Christ and His righteousness. Amen. Do you need encouragement? I want to share my spiritual gift of encouragement with you. If you would like to hear my current message series, you may call Butte Bible Fellowship at 530 530-